Again, one of the, the most beloved stories that we have in the New Testament, Jesus' story of the lost son. We just, you have to love it. And again today, we're going to look at some of the precious details in there that show us even how much greater God's love is for each of us individually that we may have never imagined. And one of the keys to understanding the story of the lost son is to recall who was the original audience to, to that story. Actually, we see a series of three stories that were, that were told back to back, which is significant in itself. But who was in front of Jesus that day that he wished to, to share these stories? And we find in uh, Luke 15 here, setting the context, Luke 15, uh, Luke writes, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, fascinatingly, we have the entire spectrum of Jewish society in front of Jesus. Okay, he talks about having uh, the tax collectors and sinners of course, we all know various stories about those tax collectors. They considered betrayers of their own culture, of their own people, worked for that hated Roman government, that, that government of occupation, and they would collect taxes for the Romans, and the Romans in, in charge were perfectly fine with the tax collectors extorting any extra money for themselves. These people were held in <laughs> lowest esteem possible in Jewish society. Luke says there were tax collectors and sinners, sinners, a catch-all phrase uh, used for those who were known in society to be criminals, adulterers, fornicators. We sometimes use that word lowlifes in English. Uh, very, again, these people would have been well-known in society. And they've all come attracted to the message of this master rabbi who welcomes everyone. So as Jesus is ready to tell his stories and he gazes out and sees the tax collectors, the sinners, and over on the other side, no doubt keeping their distance, the Pharisees and the experts of the law, the super spiritual people, of the day, so puffed up, so prideful, had written hundreds of extra laws <laughs> so that they could simply keep them to show people what super spiritual individuals they were. So in front of Jesus, an absolute sea of the lost, from the tax collectors, the sinners, experts of the law, Pharisees. So again, how fascinating, what kind of a message could Jesus give that would resonate with such disparately different members of society? And what we find are these three stories in a row told one right after another, culminating in the story of the lost son. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we don't have time to 
do a deep dive into all three stories as much as I would love to. <laughs> but we will pass over the first couple of stories right away to kind of just show this beautiful crescendo of meaning as Jesus shows the type of relationship Almighty God, the creator of the universe, wishes to have with you. We know the first story very well, the story of the, of the lost sheep, <clears throat> where Jesus talks about if you had 100 sheep and lost one of them, would you not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost? And immediately, the audience has got to be thinking, leave the 99 in the wilderness? Can that be a good idea? And then the fact hits you. That one lost sheep is so precious. The shepherd leaves the 99, I got to find the one that's lost. And of course, that one that's lost is you. How does Jesus feel? How does God feel about having you as his child? In beautiful, unmistakable terms, we hear what happens when he finds it, the lost sheep. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Is that a beautiful picture? He puts that little lost sheep on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls together his friends and his neighbors, telling them, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents with an eye on the sinners, with an eye on the Pharisees, than over 99 righteous people, eye on the Pharisees, certainly, who do not need to repent. We all, of course, need that repentance. Jesus immediately goes into a second story, we find again in, in chapter 15, verse 8, Or what woman who has ten silver coins, wait a minute, again, unmistakable to that original audience, Jesus is now comparing God to a woman? Yes, he is. Why? The story unfolds. If she loses one coin, would not she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? What a picture. Jesus picturing God analogous to this woman who has lost a coin. <laughs> Frankly, I have no problem understanding this analogy. Remember the time I was in the basement with my dad, where we had a nice TV set. Mom had her sewing machine on the side, and the day mom lost her precious little sewing scissors. <laughs> you talk about <laughs> the entire basement is getting <laughs> thrown over as she looks and looks. Dad says, Terry, let's go to Walmart for some Cheetos. <laughs> Just let your mom search and search, and she did. <laughs> she searched, turned the house upside down until she found her irreplaceable precious little sewing scissors. But that, that intensity, that I will not stop until I find them, is what Jesus is, of course, referring to. Again, astoundingly, that is how intensely God wants to find you, care for you, 
and have you as his precious child. And then the final, the tour de force, the story of the lost son, where again we find extraordinary details that just show us, again, the intensity of God's love, his commitment to you, how precious each of us is individually to him. We can follow along in our bulletins with the uh, text here. <clears throat> Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his, fa to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, make no mistake about it. Again, immediately, that original audience, Jewish society in Jesus' days would have instantly known you could not imagine a greater insult to a father. Simply speaking, to say, Father, give me my share of the estate, give me my inheritance, was the equivalent in that society to saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. I'm leaving and I certainly never expect to see you again. That is the intensity of the boy's rejection, his coldness, his total, utter lack of love for his father. Again, so he divided his property between them. Not many days later, predictably, the younger son gathered together all that he had and traveled to a distant country. There he wasted his wealth with reckless living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. He would have liked to fill his stomach with the carapods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Many ran out, friends <laughs> ran off, and he is reduced to fighting off the pigs for a place at the trough. Again, what a graphic picture Jesus is loading into the minds of his audience. <clears throat> when he came to his sentence, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread and I am dying from hunger? I will get up, go to my father and tell him, and here again the the exquisite master storytelling technique. Right now, note this, we get the boy's entire confession, a preview of what he wants to say. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now, interestingly, again, just notice the, the subtle shading of the story here. It's a little ambiguous just how deep is that boy's that boy's regret, <laughs> all right? Because it's certainly influenced by the fact that I gotta find some food. I have nothing to eat, money's gone, down there with the pigs, let me try this. Okay, certainly he is remorseful, but again, what an extraordinary item to also have in there. Some churches will actually teach, you have to be sure you're sorry enough before you're forgiven. This little moment knocks that completely out of the water. 
We do, of course, see repentance. We don't know how deep it is. And our story continues. <clears throat> uh, verse 20, he got up and went to his father. While he was still far away, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, hugged his son, and kissed him. Not a single word has passed between them. And again, a detail not lost on that original audience. We have heard described this wealthy, dignified, sophisticated, Middle Eastern father completely, uncharacteristically, with total abandon, break into a run. Would have never been heard of. <laughs> this man is running to embrace his ne'er-do-well son. It gets better, friends. <laughs> he ran, hugged his son, and kissed him. The son said to him, now remember, we've got this in our heads. Okay, well, let's see if he can pull this off. He's rehearsed this confession. He's, he's prepared to say something while he's in this bear hug, <laughs> no doubt. And he says, starts his confession. The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And it stops right there. But the father said to him, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. What just happened? <laughs> the father in his great love <laughs> actually cuts him off in mid-confession. The boy started, we know it because we heard it, <laughs> we heard his practice, we heard it ahead of time. He starts out, Father, forgive me. Yeah, that's good, that's fine. <laughs> We're through with that. Actually cuts him off in mid-confession, that's fine, it's time for the robe. It's time for the ring, it's time for the sandals. I know, son. Extraordinary. That love of the Father just so <laughs> overflowing, he can't wait to get to the moment to restore that boy to that total sonship and to remove every trace of that disgusting, horrible lifestyle he had just lived. The father said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe, not just any robe, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Then they began to celebrate. And as this whole story goes through, brothers and sisters, it's your story. It's my story. Well, I don't know if I was ever that bad. <laughs> Recall the ways that the Bible describes our natural state. <laughs> and again, it is packed with descriptions of the nature of every one of us. Lost in darkness, children of God's wrath, Slave to sin, 
The gospel is naturally nonsense to us, dead in our sin, lost sheep, blind, not just lost in darkness, darkness itself, dead, dead in our sins. And as we know, <laughs> the dead can do nothing to raise themselves to spiritual life. We are truly in there, in that same total dead, lost, blind, slave to sin state as this lost son. They began to celebrate. Verse 25, we go on. Now you gotta remember, at this point, the one side of the audience, remember who that was over there? Okay, we got the tax collectors and the sinners. Oh my goodness. They can't get enough of this. They, of course, can so easily, instantly identify with that young boy and all the disgusting things he did, how unbelievably lost he was. And they're thinking, best robe, ring, sandals, no evidence at all of our despicable past. They are loving us. They are seeing God reaching out to them no matter what their past is. But now we got the other side of the room here <laughs> to deal with. And again, with extraordinary, with exquisiteness, Jesus says, I've got the sinners, I've got the tax collectors, they're right here with me. I've got to still reel in those Pharisees and experts of the law. Whew! They're probably not identifying too much with that young lost son. So again, Jesus beautifully, perfectly segues into the story of the older son. And believe me, early on in the stories, those Pharisees and experts of the law are going to start getting a little red in the face knowing full well who this part of the story is clearly directed to. <clears throat> his older son was in the field as he approached the house he heard catch the detail music and dancing <laughs> make no mistake Jesus is describing the father is describing our heavenly father as so excited to have you as his child we got live music we've actually got a picture of the father dancing on the dance floor what a word for Jesus to, to throw in there. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked, what's going on? The servant told him, now we can tell right here, the servant knows the older son's personality. Check out the words he picks. Your brother, this is your brother. Yeah, he's here. Your father killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. Now, every time we see something with the father, it once again just gives us another nuance of how extraordinary the love of the father is. Doesn't want to lose the tax collectors and sinners, doesn't want to lose the prideful, the puffed up people that are there also. We hear 
His father came out, how embarrassing. His father comes out of the house to talk to the older son who, as everyone would know, refuses to go in and began to plead with him. Again, you just see that beautiful situation of, of, of Jesus pleading with these prideful people on the road to eternal perdition, eternal punishment. Jesus pleading, you have got to grasp this. You have got to understand this. Here we are. The older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. He, the older son, answered his father, Look, these many years, get a little exaggerating right from the beginning, these many years I've been serving you and never disobeyed your command. But you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours, whew, you can just feel that animosity dripping here. Won't call him his brother. You're his son. <laughs> the son of yours arrived after wasting your property with prostitutes. Doesn't know this for sure, but assumes that's what's happened. You killed the fattened calf for him. The father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. But... It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. And he tells us why. Because this brother of yours, your brother, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. What an avalanche of precious details showing how involved God is in each of our lives. How important each of you is to him. No matter what you've done in the past. And I always like to kind of throw in here. You know, we've all got that little collection of things that we feel most guilty about that we did in our lives. Could have been years and years ago. Could have been fairly recent. Whenever you ask, what in your life do you feel most guilty about? And usually, <laughs> about two or three thoughts will certainly jump instantly into my mind. No doubt a couple of them will, will certainly spring into your mind right away. And let me tell you, huge lesson here about guilt. If you walked into church today, still feeling guilt over something you did in the past. And I'm sure you can think of the biggest, the biggest mess-ups you've had. I can think of mine. But if you're still carrying those, hold that story of the lost son close to you. When God forgives Think of those beautiful words in Jeremiah. He tells us, I will remember your sins no more. God is saying, I choose, in that incomprehensible way, God chooses to forget what you have done. Think of those, those, those extreme words he uses. As far as the east is from the west, have I forgiven your sins? 
Red as scarlet, now white as wool. And again, those unmistakable words, I will remember your sins no more. So what are you doing remembering them? If you walked into church today with the guilt of anything, anything in your past, you leave it here today. Ends up in this story. The robe, the sandals, the ring, the ring. Oh, love that detail. Indicating son of the father, the prince here. Those beautiful words we find in Galatians where Paul writes, those who have been baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. He actually sees you. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you in a white robe. We say this over and over, but grasp it. I walk around in a white robe of righteousness. When God looks at me, he sees me as perfect as Jesus Christ. That is what it means to receive credit for the perfect life that he, that he had, that he lived, and the punishment he took to completely erase the guilt of anything you have ever done. And a final cautionary note as we bring this to, to a close here. It's easy to see where we've all got some of that, uh, might have a lot of the younger son in us. We need to always be so careful there isn't a little bit of that older son in us, which naturally happens. One of the real dangers as we, as, 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 as Christians, knowing how the devil works, by the grace of God, we come to church, we reinforce each other to live a godly life. We may get a certain ways, hopefully, down the sanctified road as we continue in our Christian faith, but we never, ever consider ourselves better than others. We all started out dead. We've all spent time at the trough, have we not? God has completely cleaned us up, given us that white robe of righteousness. And as we reach out to others with that crucial story of the gospel, where eternal souls are at stake, people whose time of grace is still here. As long as you're alive, you can still come to faith. And where you spend eternity is at stake. And we certainly don't reach out, we don't do our evangelism work with that, that, that tinge of, I'm a little better, and I'm going to kind of share some of this, this righteousness, this knowledge with, with another. We come as a beggar who's found bread. You can tell someone else where to find it. May God bless our lives as we continue to grow in the faith. May he bless us as we reach out 
to all the other lost sons and daughters who still need to know the saving message of Jesus. In his precious name, amen.